single most important lesson that you have to learn in life is this. How to love like Jesus. Learning to love like God loves you. The whole reason God puts you on this planet is not to make money, not to retire, not to just have a lot of fun and die. God puts you here on this planet to learn how to love. And if you don't do that, you miss the point of life. He puts you here to learn how to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. And if you don't learn that, you've just missed it. The most important thing in life is to live a life of love. But how do I know that that's what's most important? Because in my life, I've got a lot of important things. Well, I'm glad you asked that question because there's a little story in Scripture. It's about five verses that gives us the key to the Christian life. And here's what happened. This is in the New Testament. There was a teacher of the law that came up to Jesus, and he had an opportunity to ask Jesus a question. I I know I have a ton of questions, and I'm sure you would as well. But let's just suppose for a moment you had one shot and one question to ask Jesus. What would you ask him? Now, I, didn't, I wouldn't have asked this question, but I'm so glad this guy was here and he asked the question that he did because he basically said this to Jesus. Jesus, would you please tell me what is the most important thing in life? And here's how Jesus answered. Mark 12. Jesus responded this way. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. There are no commandments more important than these. Jesus is saying, hey, look, there's, there's one thing that's important in life. It's this, right? Ready? Here it is. It's to love me and it's to love others. And there's a third part too, and this is hard for some of us, and that is to learn to love yourself because God thinks you're amazing. He said, this is what's most important in life is loving me and loving others. Another passage in the New Testament, Jesus goes on to, to add this to it in John 13. He says, so now I'm giving you a new commandment, a new one. Love each other just as I have loved you. And you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. You know, Jesus always had time for people. Always. If we're too busy, you know what we lose? Our sensitivity. You can be right in the midst of somebody that's hurting really bad. And you're in such a hurry that you don't even realize that God has put you in a position to have an opportunity to be a blessing to someone by maybe just cheering them up or saying, you know, God loves you or, you know, God wants you to know that you're precious to him. Jesus didn't miss opportunities. He was going somewhere, but he always had time to stop and help hurting people. We need to make sure that we notice the people around us that are hurting and we take the time to do something to make their life better. You know, some of the reasons that we're so driven and we get burnout, and I've been on the verge of burnout a number of times in my life, or while we walk around feeling so empty inside, or we have loneliness or regrets, is because we're using the wrong measuring stick for when it comes to what success really, truly looks like. So what does that mean exactly? What means when you wake up in the morning, You make a decision, and the decision is this, no matter what happens today, no matter what my to-do lists are, or how good or bad a day it is, it doesn't matter, as long as I learn to love God a little bit more, and I learn to love others, then that day was a great day. The Bible says that day was the best day. Now the opposite is true as well, which is if you wake up in the morning and you're not even thinking about God, 
He said, I got I to get going, man. I got to get out there. I got to make the sale. I got to make the grade. And let's say for you, it was the best day ever. Maybe you got the promotion. Maybe you did get the sale. It was the best day for you. And it's not that all those things were bad or wrong. They're good. But let's say you didn't learn to love God a little bit more or learn to love others or even understand to learn how much he really loves you. Then God says, you know what? That wasn't the best day. That was an okay day. It was a mediocre day. And the fact that I've got something better for you. You know, when we derail our lives, and all of us, all of us derail our lives at one point or another, all of us get our priorities mixed up and and twisted around upside down, God doesn't look at you in anger, upset. He looks at you with compassion. He says, okay, that's all right. It's okay. We'll try it again tomorrow. Tomorrow you'll get another shot at it, because this is important to me. This is what God says. This is important to me that you get this right. And so, yeah, all these things were great, but I've got a better way for you to live. And that's the heart of God towards you. He wants to give you the best day ever. And he wants to have a better way for you to live. And that's to live a life of love. Look at 1 Corinthians 16, 14. Everything you do must be done in love. Everything. So the primary call in the life of a believer is to live a life of love. It's putting relationships before activities, not just building wealth, not getting to the best schools, not getting married, not landing the best jobs. Nothing wrong with all that, but it's not the priority. It's not what's important. And God says, let love be your highest priority. Make life about relationships, not about accomplishments. Loving like God is taking care of people who can't take care of you. Can't give you anything back at that point. God is patient with you. The Bible says that we are but dust and God knows that. And that we struggle and he is patient with us. God is kind to you. He loves you. God does not envy. God does not boast. God is not proud. Unless he's talking about you. He thinks you're pretty amazing. God does not dishonor others. God is not self-seeking. God is not easily angered with you. God keeps no records of wrongs. Because Jesus paid for all of it on the cross. God does not delight in evil or the evil that happens to you. God rejoices with the truth. God always protects you even when you may not realize it. God always trusts. God always hopes because he is hope. God always perseveres. And God never fails you. That's who God is. And that's who God wants you to to understand about him. This is his heart towards you. When he looks at you, this is how he looks at you. When he thinks about you, this is how he thinks about you. He wants to relate to you in this way. He wants you to know this is how he responds to you. So the next time you go around thinking and getting down on yourself that maybe God is punishing you, or that God is upset at you, or that God doesn't like you, or that God, for some reason, he's out to get you, think about this passage as a filter to understand and to see who God is to you. God is patient and kind and loving, and he will never, ever, ever fail you. And he loves you with an everlasting, never-ending love. This is his heart towards you. And so how do you spell love? What is the way we do that? We've heard this many times. You spell love time. You show people time. But it's even more than that. It's time and commitments. It's time plus commitment is how we show people love, and it communicates love. The most important relationship in your life, the Bible says, is your relationship with God. Working on your friendship with Him. Listening to Him. 
talking to him. Letting him talk to you. Letting him love on you. It's making that commitment to be with him on a regular basis. And then the second most important relationships we have that we need to have time and commitment for is for people. You know, I've, as a pastor, I've, I've done a lot of memorials, and I've been to a lot of memorials as well. And I hear all kinds of testimonies. It's one of the, the best parts about a memorial is hearing about a person's life. But let me tell you something I've never heard. Never once have I ever heard this kind of testimony at a memorial. He was so amazing at his to-do lists. I've never heard that before. Because that's not what matters. What I've heard, though, is how this person impacted their life through relationships. How this person impacted their life because they gave of themselves, they gave of time, and they kept their commitments. Attention is the greatest gift you ever give anybody. Why? Because your attention is your life. When I give you my attention... I'm giving you my time, and my time is my life. I'm never going to get that time back. I can always get more money. I can always get other things. I can't get any more time. And if I give you my time, I've just given you a part of my life. It's the most important thing you can give somebody. We only have so much time. And we have a lot of things that I know that we want to get done, and we even have dreams that we want to get done. But because we only have so much time, how we invest it and who we invest it into matters with our kids and our relationships and the people around us that we love. And I promise you, based on what God says, you will never regret choosing what matters most. It might mean cutting back. It might mean making some radical decisions in your home. But it'll be worth it. You will never regret making room for what matters most. Never. Make room for love. I deliberated how I was going to show that video or just because it was 10 minutes long. But I truly believe that in the times that we're in, I think they expounded well on what love is about. We talk about that God is love. And I hope that today I get a chance to teach you the importance of what love is about. I love the Lord, and I love that it says, you know, at the end of his life, they spoke of his to-do list. Not what mattered most to them, but how he served others and what he did. I think that's so important in our lives. Learning to serve others. Learning to serve others. Serving like Jesus, building better relationships. Here's what it says in Matthew chapter 20. And if you have your Bible, you're more than welcome to follow with us or you can follow us up above here on the, on the PowerPoint on the screens. But here's what it says. Then the mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus with her son. She knelt respectfully to ask a favor. What is your request? He asked. She replied, in your kingdom, please let my two sons sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right and the other on your left. But Jesus answered by saying to them, you don't know what you are asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering I'm about to drink? Oh, yes, they replied. We are able. Jesus told them, you indeed drink from my bitter cup, but I have no right to say who will sit on my right or my left. My father has prepared those places for the ones he has chosen. When the ten other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. 
But Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people, and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life a ransom for many. I believe that what you're seeing here is that Jesus is saying, I loved you so much that I gave of my life. He was a ransom for many. And today, as we conclude in our series on building better relationships, we began this series hearing from God's word or actually from the words of God in creating human life. The scriptures depict God saying that it is not good for us to be alone, a declaration that echoes throughout our life. He said, I will give you a help. And together it, it took two people to to do what needed to be done. He said, it's not good that you're alone. Back in the fall, back in October, two lives that have shown to be rather astute in assessing human lives, both of these gentlemen had a public conversation that I want to share with you today. Other Brooks or the Atlantic publication discussed the truth about happiness with Dr. Vivek H. Murthy, a physician and now U.S. Surgeon General. Murthy recently wrote a book That has struck at the real issue that we have avoided as a culture. And the book is titled, Together, The Healing Power of Human Connection in a Sometimes Lonely World. Which he wrote the book back in April of 2020. Murthy, I've been often quite surprised that the people I thought were perfectly content and seemed to be out at the parties all the time and have a vibrant social life were actually often quite alone. But they didn't feel comfortable saying that because in the United States of America, in Western society, in the modern age, to say you're lonely feels like saying you're a loser. So we don't talk about this even though millions and millions of people are struggling with loneliness. Brooks says there's a very famous study at the University of Rochester where students were asked about what their goals in life were. And then it followed up a year later to see whether or not they hit their goals after graduation and to see actually how happy they were. And those who had extrinsic goals, which is money, power and fame, they wanted to get ahead. They wanted to do really well. They wanted to make more money. They got Those things they were doing better than average, but they were a lot less happy than those who had intrinsic goals and those intrinsic goals were all about love and relationships. Now watch Dr. Murthy. When we give love, when we receive love, we feel replenished. We feel empowered and we're able to do more to be more for all of those around us. That is a consistent theme in the history of humanity and born out often by our own life experiences. I actually think we know that, know that when we're born. But if you watch a small child or if you watch small children interact, they don't really care how famous they are, right? They don't care how much money they have or possessions. They could be happy in a small house or they could be happy in a big house. But they derive so much in those moments of love. They hone in. On what really and truly matters. Well, Murthy then says, 
What I can tell you is about the conversations I've had with many patients at the end of their life. And what is remarkably consistent about those conversations, those last moments in someone's life, those last hours, those last days, when I've been privileged to sit by their bedside and hold their hands and to look into their eyes and just hear their final reflections on their wonderful life. What people talk about in those final moments is not how big their office was or the promotion they got or the prestigious job or how big their bank account was. What people talk about are relationships. They talk about the people they loved, the people who they wish they had spent more time with. We don't have to wait for that time to realize what truly matters, church. We may measure things differently. We may measure successes Differently, in part by the strength of the relationships that we create, we would live and look at life very differently if we truly built our life around people. Learning to build life around people, that is what we have been engaging in. And we begin with the good news. We were created in connection to know connection. Oh, Pastor. Where where are you going with this? Well, we're talking about better relationships, connecting with people, connecting with them. We were created to do that. This is what Jesus comes to restore and teach us to join. Then the message paraphrase, here's what it says. And I like that. And I never thought I'd ever actually use this publicly because I think the message really kind of skews a lot of things. But if I were to break it down, I think they did a great job of what Ephesians chapter 5 verses 1 and 2 says. He says, watch what God does and then you do it. Like children who learn proper behavior from their parents. Mostly what God does is love you. Keep company with him and learn a life of love. Observe. Observe how Christ loved us. His love was not cautious, but extravagant. He didn't love in order to get something from us, but to give everything of himself to us. Love like that. He didn't love in order to get something from us, but to give everything of himself like us. Or himself to us. Thank you. Love like that. My wife helps me out down in Shaggy. She wrote this message. Just kidding. (laughs) The final quality that we can learn from Jesus that that love gives. Now listen, he didn't love to get, but to get. I'm sorry. He didn't love to get, but to give. Thank you. He didn't love to get, but to give. Love will give of ourselves for the sake of others. Love does not just give to get, but gets to give. Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, it says, Jesus said, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, as the Apostle John says in the Scriptures, here in Matthew 20, 28, Jesus said, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And here's what John says in 1 John three sixteen. Watch with me. By this we know love because he laid down his life for us and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. I truly believe this is the very definition of what love is. Laying down our life for somebody else. Understanding the depth of love. What is the love of Christ? Now, you know, churches preach on love. Ah, And we get these feelings. 
But I want you to take it in a whole other dimension. I want you to look at it differently and understand what is he truly saying here. He says that God is love. And is describing that divine love is that revealed in giving one's life. God revealed his love on a cross. We're about to embark on the days up to Easter. Going up to Via Dolorosa, going to the place of the skull, going to Golgotha, where Jesus was crucified on the cross to give us life. That was the definition of love. God is from all eternity in his own being as the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. God is the other-oriented, self-giving love. That's who he is. God is the kind of love that pours himself out for another. And God has been doing that from and for all eternity. He loves us. And God creates the world to express that love, to invite others in on that love. And so this is the kind of love that is supposed to characterize all of our relationships. I call that a cross-like love. For most of us, this is just a bit hard, I, I truly believe, to grasp. We sense limitations that require living in competition. We think there is a limited good stuff. So life is really about getting the most we can. I always say all you want to do is get all you can and sit on the can. And I'm not talking that can. Just kidding, just kidding. All right. And there are nearly 8 billion lives currently. Think about this. So we naturally think we need to be takers, holders, and hoarders. Let me say that to, to you again. We naturally think we need to be takers, holders, and hoarders. But look at Jesus. We can better understand how to give ourselves for the sake of others. And the first, first thing we can see is that love gives by choice. Love gives by choice. John didn't say that Jesus was simply killed, but rather he laid down his life. In other words, it was a choice. Jesus freely chose to lay down his life. He says in John chapter 10, verses 17 and 18, Therefore my Father loves me because I laid down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my Father. No one does this to me. I choose to do this. Do you hear me? No one does this to me. I choose to do this. Out of love, he chose to sacrifice and describe unsurpassable worth to others, even his enemies, He chose that. It wasn't required of him. It wasn't imposed on him. He wasn't anybody's victim. He did it freely out of love. Amazing. What is so clearly seen in Jesus is that what he describes as love is the choice he made to sacrifice for the good of others. This is not the same as being doormats is simply allowing others to use you or abuse you. And I, I want to break this down because if you're in a relationship where there is a physical or emotional abuse, where some kind of victimization is going on, where you are being dehumanized, what love requires is that you do everything possible to put an immediate stop to that. In fact, what love requires is that it's serious enough you need to walk away from it. You see, if it's serious enough, we have to get away from it. Walk away from it. 
Because listen, that is not love. And it's not doing you any good or them any good. Real love is a choice. And it's the power of that choice that makes love the most powerful force that exists. It is the choice to give of ourselves, to reveal our potency. We are expressing our value most, our potency, when we give. When God created us, He created us as a source of help to one another, as gifts to one another. You are a gift to others. Some may respond, yeah, you know I'm God's gift to the world. You You know what I'm saying. Slow down. Slow down. It's not about a world that exists to give you attention and affirmation. I said we are all gifts to one another and God's gift. We belong in a very profound way. May I ask you to say this aloud with me? I am a gift to others. Let's say this together. I am a gift to others. That is the identity to live up to and into. That we are a gift. God created us. He formed us. We should be a gift to others, not, you know, I'm God's gift to the world. As I mentioned last week, we do well to remember the story of Cain and Abel. Cain appears to become insecure and jealous of his brother Abel and strikes him down. And God comes and asks, where is your brother? Cain responds with a tragic immaturity. He says, am I my brother's keeper? Who do you think I am? Yes, he was. And tragically, he did what, he, what we can all do. We see others as our competition. We become lonely because we think only of ourselves. Cain actually wanted more attention on himself. The truth is that we can seek attention and affection to find ourselves. Live lives that know only pseudo love. The real connection we long for is that a love that chooses to embrace responsibility for others. Now that may be hard for some of us to appreciate. Many of us today can fear expectations. I recall the great wisdom reflected through once a rabbi, and here's what he said, whose life work was the study of the power of God's expectations. And he notes that so many think that the problem in life is having responsibility and expectations on us. And that freedom is being free of responsibility to anyone but ourselves. But the rabbi noted that the truth is that without expectation, without responsibility, we are excluded from life itself. He says if someone expects that man something of you, it means he takes you seriously. Do you hear that? I told my wife, I said, let me just tell you a little bit about the, the message. And we were sitting on the couch and I said... I want you to hear this, and I'm going to repeat it to you, but I want you to think about this. If someone expects or demands something of you, it means he or she takes you seriously. Wow. Think about that reputation. Think about if somebody can come to you, they know that you love them so much that you'll follow through, that you matter to that individual. I believe that is the model of Jesus. Jesus showed people by serving them that they mattered. We fail in that. We fail in our walk. You know why? Because we won't do anything that is an inconvenience to us. It's difficult to go out of our way. You know, because life is work. 
Do you guys know, I'm going to tell you something you may not know, but it's a big secret that I thought I'd give in this finale. Love is work. Love is work. It's amazing. Because I do believe that true love is humility. The truth is that we have both a desire and fear of responsibility. We sang in that song that fear, fear has a way of making us feel some sort of way. But let me tell you something. I preach and I love preaching because I love you. I love Christ first. And because I have a passion for Christ, I have a passion for God's people. Because I love you. That is the desire. I want to see the world changed because of the love of Christ. But how does that model look? In a world today where there are preachers, there are young men that are not surrendering to preach. Because we're not teaching them love. Who wants to follow Christ when we're hateful, mean, self-centered people? We can't build better relationships because we're hung up with self. We live in a world that there's so much chaos going on that social media is driving our mental and emotional place where we need to go, or I should say space, to take us to a place that isn't Christ-honoring. We need to love people and understand that even though there's fear of it, have great, great pleasure and pride in knowing that we get to serve a great God. I was telling the men this morning, I said, you know what I find interesting about loving people? Is that if you look at the disciples and you look at the apostles and you look at Paul and you look at Peter and you go through scripture, they didn't die just a wonderful death where everybody came into that celebration of life service and memorial service to look at them. They died a death that was brutal because they were proclaiming the love of Christ. You heard in the video and the narrative before the, the message, it said this, the new commandment is this in the new Testament to love yourself to love your neighbor, to love others. This is the greatest commandment of all. Live a wor- in a world of hate, of pride, of power. And we're seeing it played out right before us. But we need to surrender to the love of Christ and let the world know that the church, the bride of Christ needs us, that we need to be actively and faithfully involved, that Christ needs us. Listen. You won't be able to go to work tomorrow if you don't have your arm. You can't go to work tomorrow if you don't have your legs. You can't go to work tomorrow and hear what needs to be done if you don't have your ears. You can't go to work tomorrow if you don't have your head because you can't think because your neck's not there. You need everybody. Paul said there's such an important part to the body. We need to have young men, young women preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yesterday at the chili cook-off, one of the gentlemen that came, he's one of the ministry leaders of the house of the Lord. What a wonderful godly man. He's the president and treasurer of, of their association. And I know some of the men that are a part of their association. As I had the opportunity and privilege, man, did I love just his spirit. We discerned one another because we spoke on love. But here's what he told me. Just since the pandemic, 30 churches have closed their door in our association. How my heart grieves 
because of the lack of love and involvement. Listen, church, it doesn't matter if there's a storm going on. It doesn't matter if the rain starts to fall. What we need to do is we need to be busy about the Lord's work, doing what God wants us to do. Love one another. Be involved. We are taught to reprove, rebuke, and exhort. He said, go out and do the work of an evangelist. Go into the highways and hedges and compel them, bring them in. Church, it is our responsibility, it is your responsibility to get the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world and to show people the measure of love that is expected from our Savior Jesus Christ, who was the greatest model of all, who exemplified what love was all about. Number two, the second thing that Jesus makes clear is that love gives with purpose. God's goodness. Love gives with purpose. Jesus never just gave himself to whatever whims and wishes the people had. He served God's goodness. The purpose of giving is God's goodness. We are confirmers of God's goodness. We say God is good all the time. How good is he? And if we're going to build better relationships, we need to let the world know God is good. And not just say it, but believe it. That's the love of Christ. And even though I was speaking to Antonio last night, I said, listen, we need to let the world know that God is good. And love gives with purpose. Jesus said he came to do the Father's will. And he called us to do the same. How can we serve others? How can we affirm God's goodness? Jesus gave more than a hint when he said in Mark chapter 12, verse 31, and the second like it is, is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's no other commandment greater than these. Then he said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. In other words, we already have a good sense because we share so much of the same nature. When we are in need, we appreciate that someone can help. We appreciate kinds of... Listen, I feel loved by words of affirmation. I love when people make me feel loved. One of the things about the five love languages is identifying, understanding the potential in somebody we are in need, we appreciate if someone can help. We appreciate kind words. Listen, the potential ways we can give to others are vast. But the two most basic ways is through our care and our words. Through our care and our words. We can give our time to serve others. And we can use our words to bless others. We can use our words to bless others. You look great. It's great to see you. Thanks a lot for that chili. I just loved it. It was delicious. It didn't agree with me later, but it sure was good at the time. (laughs) Y'all are laughing like you know what I'm saying. I'm glad we're all relating to one another. But you know what to say? I need you. I love you. Many of you know Brother Troy. He's not here today. Troy and Faith aren't here today. But that man 
So we had their funeral for, for Faith Dad the other day, and we wanted to show love. And I love that people showed up and brought food and were here to serve. And he kept saying to me, Preacher, what needs to be done? 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 And I said, Nothing needs to be done around here. Would you just go be with your family? Let us serve you today because he wants to clean off your cars. He wants to park your cars. He wants to drive your cars. He wants to bring your cars to you. He wants to open up the door. He wants to shovel. He wants to salt. And you know what all these guys said that love him back there? Listen, we got it handled. And I love that. He needed to know that, Pastor, I'm going to be away. What you don't know that, you know, my wife and I have left here at 6 o'clock in the evening after Sunday service. Do you know who walks out of this church with my wife and I? Troy and Faith. He said, Pastor, I'm not leaving till you leave. Wow. That's love. That's the kind of love that is amazing. Love is patient. Love is kind. And there's times I'm like, brother, you can go home. Nope. I take my day. I'm here till you walk out the door. I'm staying with you to the end. Wow. That really shows me love. It means the world to me. Number three in the last point. Love gives from eternal love. The source of giving is God's eternal love. This is the most profound reality that Jesus reveals. We assume we exist in a world of limited resources. If you just pour out, you become empty. If you lose something, it's gone. We think if we give ourselves away that we lose ourselves, that we will ultimately be lost. But I like what Jesus says here in Matthew chapter 16. He says, and Jesus said to the disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life and will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus seems to be calling us to following him in the way of sacrifice. We cannot give our life or live to atone for the sins of the world, but we can give our lives in service to God and to other people. Jesus previously said in Matthew chapter 10, verse 39, he who finds his life will lose it and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. And Jesus is saying that in doing so, we actually find who we are. We find ourselves. This can sound very strange, but the truth is that Jesus was more truly finding himself when he gave himself. He was part of the God who is love and who gives. So he was actually being most himself when he showed such love to us. Now watch, the Trinity is never ending belonging. And that is true of us. We are loved as individuals. But because we belong, so to love God and love others cannot be separated. So we see that there's three, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit But the three in one communes together and we see the significance of it. Love is an eternal source. We all reflect its echoes in this world, but we're meant to live in a relationship to the source. So it comes down to this as I close. We are actually, or either we are self-existing beings who will find ourselves in what we get. We were created in the image of God. It's one or the other. Meant to be eternally connected, bound and belonging. And as such, when we give ourselves for the sake of others, we find ourselves. When we give of ourselves, we are actually reflecting our deepest nature. And we know it. When you help someone, hard work, 
can be helping serve food. When you help somebody with a car issue, or you help somebody to say, can I pray for you right now? Maybe a moment of extended care to a neighbor. When you start to serve, you'll feel two things. You'll feel closer to God, and you'll also feel your best self. So how can I best close this series? Living a life that I really believe that love is living like Christ, living like Jesus. As I said at the start, it's important to realize that learning to build better relationships is to do what? Love like Jesus. By now, I think many of us know Ephesians chapter 5. I said, I'm going to keep this in every message to the finale of this message. It's not about just a few truths that the mere knowledge of will make a difference. It's about grasping them as an ongoing guide in our life. So one step I have taken is to refine these five qualities into some practical guiding values that I can keep in front of me. And today, I want to draw upon a step that Arthur Brooks presented. Imagine yourself in five years happy. Can you imagine yourself in five years happy? Identify five things that are making you happy five years from now. Order them. Now take management of the very top two. The love that you want in your life, it's not going to make itself happen. It's not going to manage itself. You need to manage it. Do this exercise once a week for a month and think about how it's changing your priorities. And then do it for the rest of the year. I guarantee you, your priorities are going to change. Because you're going to give more attention to the things that really matter. What you focus on more is what you will manage going forward. You'll become more intrinsically motivated person reaping the happiness reward. The Attorney General says this, and I quote, Put people first. Put people first. At work and at home. In all parts of your life. Care deeply for others. To listen compassionately. And then to lead with love. Love is the world's oldest medicine. Your ability to give and receive love is your greatest gift and your greatest power. It is what will sustain you on every step of your journey. I've said to my wife, can you stand up? I'm going to use you as an illustration. I know we didn't practice this, but go with it. Okay. You know, there's times when my wife will say, you know, I, I, I feel some sort of way today. I feel sad. And I think this is truly what changes who we are as people. You know, I call her my soul tie, and I've taught in Love Encounter. What is a soul tie? How does it work? But I have two ways of embracing her. I can embrace her like this. I can pull her in, and I can hug her and hug her like this. Or I could take her by the face, and then I can kiss her. Yeah, you know what I'm saying, everyone? But you know what she says? Sometimes I'll do this. I just love to to touch your skin. 
What does, what that, does do? that do? That makes me feel loved. That gives her a sense of, wait a minute, how much I care for her. A person's touch means everything. Holding hands, putting your arm around somebody, just being present in their life. And in order to build better relationships, we have to see the model that was put out there by us. And it says it here in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. And walk in love as Christ also loved us and give him, has given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. Loving people. Now finish with this thought. Jesus was with his disciples. And he knelt before them. But before he knelt, he walked over. And I couldn't understand this. And I'll be preaching on this probably in a series leading up to the crucifixion and, and the resurrection of Jesus. But he took off his robe. And as he took off his robe, he started to show a sense of humility to the 12 disciples that were there. Many churches don't practice it any longer, but from my old regular Baptist and free will Baptist background, washing of the feet was such a significant part to taking the sacraments and understanding humility. What was love about? What was Jesus teaching when he was in John and when he was in the gospel? It says that he girded himself, that he took a towel and wrapped it around him and watch the motion. Many of us, when we deflect, we are puffed up. We stand tall. But Jesus knew the importance of humility. He knew the importance of love. And so what did he do? He bowed his knees and knelt before the disciples to teach him. There's no greater love than this. Than to bow down your life. Now hold on a minute. We know what was taking place back in the day. They had sandals. The roads were dirty. They weren't asphalt or concrete. There wasn't gravel. And so their feet were very dirty. So Jesus was teaching the disciples truly what the significance of his posture was. And his posture was that I'm going to serve you because it's better to serve than to be served. And so right now I'm going to wash your feet. Well, arrogant Simon Peter, he looked down at him and he immediately said to him, Oh, since you're doing that, let me, let me add some humor in here. Can you go ahead and wash my face, my shoulders, my body? And Jesus then returned as he's in his spot and he looked up to him with such humility. And here's what he said. You've lost You don't understand, Simon Peter. I'm not here to just be your servant. I was trying to show you in order for the world to see my father and to fulfill the father's will, you have to love people. And that's only demonstrated through humility. That's only demonstrated through a sacrificial love that can only be demonstrated by your posture. So he washed his feet and he didn't stop there. He washed the disciples' feet. So church, I'm going to ask you a question today. Are you too big to change your posture? How will you serve like Jesus? I ask my wife every day, honey, can I get that for you? I warmed her coffee up. 
five times today. She goes, honey, would you please sit down? I said, no, you have to have hot coffee. I love serving her. That's just in our relationship as a husband and wife. I love serving this church. I love spending the whole day here. People can say, preacher, I need to know what your overview of theology is. I need to know your constitution, your bylaws. I need to know this. No, I want you to ask me this question. Do you preach the word of God? Do you live out the word of God? And I believe that if you look around here today, you are a gift from God. And God has called the people that are supposed to be here for such a season as this and a time as this to show other people love. And it's no accident that a gentleman who is sitting in this room, I will not name, says, You know what? I believe God brought us at a time as this. We didn't talk about enlarging our parking lot. But God brought him here and he's a part of that community to demonstrate his love to each and every person so that we can all come to church we can celebrate we can sing songs that say God is good we can echo his love we can exalt the name of Jesus upon high and understand the significance of what true love is do you receive that this morning let's rise to our feet Father God we come to you today Lord thankful for your love Father I pray that Lord as, as we continue in this season of Passover, of Lent, Father, that we'll stop and we'll remember the suffering that you endured for mankind, that you died for us. You loved, you lived well, and it didn't matter what you had because the only thing you were doing was fulfilling your Father's will. For you even said in your word, in my father's house are many mansions. You didn't brag about your house or your carpet or the things that you had here on this side of the kingdom. So, Father, help us to to keep our faces focused and turned towards you. Not what this world has to offer, but what you have to offer. So, Father, in this room, I ask... That if there's somebody here today that has been struggling, maybe they need to surrender to the will of the Father. That today they will. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm going to put a pause here at um, this time of prayer. With your heads bowed, is there someone in here today that says, I need to surrender and I need to do the Father's will? Can I see your hand? Amen, amen, amen. All around the room. Hallelujah. God, I uplift those today that are struggling within their own spirit, Lord, to to understand what serving like Jesus looks like. Sometimes it's uncomfortable and it's humiliating. Sometimes there's fear that's involved. Sometimes we're afraid by what someone else might say or do. But God, I ask today that your power, the mighty power and the love of God will help all of us to be better, better people. God, I pray that you'll encourage us in our struggle here on this side of the kingdom, here on this earth. God, help us to do our Father's will. May your will be done. Bless your people. Hear their cries. In your holy name we pray. Amen. I want to invite you to the...